everybody. When you hear that great music, you know it's time for On the Lighter Side of Baseball. And as promised, I have one of my favorite guys in the world, the voice of the American League champion, Tampa Bay Rays, on the phone, Dwayne Stats. And I'll save all my lofty uh, introductions because I've done that before. How are you doing? I know. I always feel such pressure when I uh, chat with you. You know, you give me a great buildup, and then, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of letdown after that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Top, top three in the world. And that's going to, you know, guys in the grave. So how's the off season? Everybody healthy? Uh, fortunately, uh, overall, we've been healthy, uh, you know, uh, extended family touch a little bit, but nothing really serious. And, uh, you know, we have been uh, semi to a little more than that open in Florida. So I've had a chance to go to some, um, high school basketball games for my grandson uh, this winter nice. and now uh, a little baseball as well. So, uh, and, and boy, I'll tell you, <laughs> it's been great to get out to be able to, you know, responsibly distance and, um, and make sure that the one thing we wanted to make sure for basketball and my wife is always embarrassed when this happens, when an official invariably misses a call for our team, he needs to be reminded of that. And uh, he is, and I, you know, that just that kept everything healthy, kept the lungs healthy, the whole respiratory system. So that was really good. That's great. I'm sure that uh, that your bride was uh, not going to let anything slip on the hard court, <laughs> as opposed to cool, calm, and collected uh, uh, Dwayne stats. So that would be great. And you know, during the baseball games, did you uh, practice your trade, or you just kind of again? Uh, relying on the skills to come back right away in first class? Yeah, you know, it, it's that's a great question because when a broadcaster goes to a game, can he just sit back and enjoy a libation and take the game in? Or does part of that come in? And I find that um, that it's a conscious effort not to let that come in. I mean, it will, you know? Sure. I mean, but, but I think we do that as fans anyway. You know, when every pitch is made, we sort of have our own idea, whether it's a strike or a ball. You know, if it's borderline, come on, give them that call. I think I got the corner, you know, too high. That wasn't high. That was a strike, you know. So we're always thinking that way anyway. And oh. um, I, have, I do. I have to admit that I carry that with me. Well, and as a grandparent, I think it's even a, a heightened state of awareness, you know, when, when you when you're at the trap and you're doing a game and of course you're, you know, hoping good things happen for the uh, raised pitching staff. But when it's your grandkid out there playing ball, you know, the, the pitch is on the corner that he, you know, doesn't get if he's pitching or if he's batting and they call the strike, it's just not the same. I know. That's right. Come on. He's a good guy. He's a good boy. He needs a strike. That's a strike. Okay. That is right. Well, it's good to hear you're going to get back to work. Anything in spring training? Or are you just going to go start up where you left off on April 1st? No, you know, we're going to do um, we're going to do 10 telecasts. The first one is the middle of next week. Uh, we get to see uh, the Pirates. You know, they've, they've even localized uh, in, in small, I don't know if we want to call them regions, more neighborhoods of uh, teams that are training close together. Right. So, so there's not as many people traveling and all of those things. And so uh, the Pirates are, are close with their uh, camp here. So we'll see them. Uh, we'll see the Braves. We'll see uh, the Red Sox and the Twins, probably more than 
anybody else. And we're going to open, uh, open the telecast uh, side of things on uh, Wednesday against Pittsburgh. And will you get to go on uh, when the venue shifts from the Rays training facility to say Bradenton, will you get to go there or how is that going to work in spring training and how's it going to work during the season compared to last year? Yeah. All 10 of our games in the spring will be uh, home games from uh, Fort Charlotte from the Rays facility. So we'll go there. Uh, they're, they're still trying to practice, uh, you know, safety and all that uh, for the first four or five games, I'll be on in the booth, uh, spring training, the boots are smaller, so you can't be six feet apart. Um, In this case, I think Brian Anderson is going to be more than that. He's still going to be in Cleveland. Uh, So I'll do that game by myself. Uh, Although we will have uh, Tricia Whitaker, uh, you know, our our roving reporter, and she'll be around and they're trying to figure out where they're going to station her and she can do some, you know, through, technology and all that, some remote interviews, maybe with players as they leave the game, things like that. So for the first, uh, oh, I guess five games, that's going to be the setup. And then um, uh, Brian Anderson will show up. And uh, we, uh, I think, I think actually he demanded a separate booth for himself. And so he'll, he'll have another booth and I'll be in a booth and we'll see how that works out. Well, I'm assuming they're in the first five games. It's just a mere 1,500 miles isn't going to keep Brian Anderson quiet. Are they going to hook him in remotely so that he can uh, help you out, carry the broadcast like he always does? Well, here's the thing. That actually could happen. And uh, I don't know why I didn't suggest that myself, but uh, because last year we did everything from Tropicana Field home games and road games. You know, we set up in a separate booth, a bank of uh, monitors and did the games there. Uh, As it turns out, uh, the folks who bought 13 or 14 of these uh, regional sports networks actually had a station in this market with a full-fledged studio that they have redone. And I haven't even seen it yet. So, during the regular season, I don't know if anybody's really going to travel. Um, I think most people aren't. We're not. So we'll do home games. You just, you just killed me, dude, because between Kansas City and Chicago, it's your turn to buy. It's got to be your turn to buy. <laughs> and now you're not coming again two years in a row, man. That's bad. Oh, hey. Well, hey. Uh, I already I have that table right there at JJ's waiting for you and Carla, man. And now next Some year, I guess future, you'll get even, <laughs> believe me. I know you. You'll get even. That's great. Well, the Bally sports network, is that what it's called? That's what it will be called. Yes. Um, I think there's an official date. I don't know when it is. And we have a conference call, which, you know, are very important and uh, more, more than important, interesting conference call. Now, so we'll be on one of those to figure all that out, but that's what it's going to be. So you're going to have to throw away all those fine custom-made golf shirts that they made you wear last year. Yeah, I tried <laughs> to throw them away even when they made it. <laughs> well, maybe they'll have, you know, a, a Bally Sports uh, shirt, tie, coat, whatever it is, your dress code. You'll find out probably when you have the conference call. But is there anybody else that sees the irony in? 
Joe Jackson, Pete Rose, and Bally Sports Network. Uh, what's the deal? I mean, but, you know, that's a great question. And, and it's, it's in all of sport across the board now. So I guess it really wasn't that bad. And it's just leisure entertainment. So, uh, you know, I mean, time marches on. I, I have to think at some point uh, they're going to have to reevaluate some of the uh, so, some of the punitive uh, uh, sentences handed down to guys like uh, Joe Jackson and Pete Rose and all of those people. I mean, you I know, can argue it. I I totally I totally agree. Not only with that and Buck Weaver and and Sakati or however Al pronounces his name, Joe Jackson. Uh, Pete Rose and the, uh, you know, another irony is what's to stop Dwayne stats is on the mound for Tampa Bay. And he's your, he's the number one starter. And he calls his buddy Jamie and says, Hey dude, I'm not feeling too good today. Why don't you lay five grand on the, uh, uh, on the Yankees because I'm going to take a dive and boom. So I, I, I had my son as a pretty active gambler in addition to being a patent attorney. And so I, hey, I did, say, right? I did a podcast with him. Your son was a patent attorney because off the air, we can talk. But. Okay. Well, we'll do that. <laughs> so I, and he's an argumentative sort, uh, God, I love him. But, uh, so I said, well, what's to stop somebody from doing that? And he goes, are you kidding me? They, the pitchers get a lot more money for winning a game than they do for tanking a game because he goes, <laughs> the, the books now limit you know, the, they have algorithms that show who the good gamblers are and they won't let you put like a million dollars down on a bet. They limit right now. Anyway, these, uh, these baseball bets or hockey bets or golf bets. So anyway, the one thing that might make all of this, uh, uh completely, uh, a non sequitur or, uh, something that we don't have to worry about at all is that Charles Comiskey could not own a team. <laughs> And so most of these guys are making enough money that the incentive for that would be largely gone. That's true. That's true. I thought the same with fantasy sports, but, um, as I understand the nationals are going to have in stadium gambling on the game going on at the time it's going on starting opening day this year with the hope of having a sports book at their stadium when they're gone so that you can leisurely go through the turnstiles, probably pay $50 to get in, go sit down and wander into your, uh, I don't know if it's just sports betting or if you have blackjack tables and the Cubs too. Uh, Ricketts cut a deal with, uh, with um, FanDuel or DraftKing to be the uh, betting arm at Wrigley Field. They're planning to, to, to do that there too. So it just, you know, from, the sign on the every clubhouse, you can't bet on, you know, da, 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 da. And now you got the Bally Sports Network paying you. It's great. I mean, but let Joe Jackson in, by God. I... Hey, it gives a whole new meaning to when a manager makes a, a shaky move and <laughs> says, well, you know, it's just a roll of the dice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Dwayne, you're on today, buddy. So are you ready for the year? I, you got to be. Yeah, I'll tell you. I, I mean, look. Um, you know, we've been fortunate. No one's been really ill uh, that way. And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you know, our, so far as we know, all of the marriages in our families are still intact. <laughs> <laughs> you're together so much. 
but uh, I mean, we're we're ready. I, the whole country's ready. You know, yeah. boy, as much as we can make whatever we can make open. You know, they're talking about I think a thousand, maybe twelve hundred people could be in the spring training games. Yeah. Uh, you know, distanced and seven thousand or so at the ballpark during the regular season. And and um, boy, we really we need that. We're hoping for that. We're obviously hoping that everybody is as healthy as they can absolutely be, but uh, it's been an interesting experience. You know, it's been almost a year. Uh, we were in spring training last year in March, uh, did a game, uh, finished that game, and we heard there was some talk about, you know, this pandemic, and they may address it. And I thought, wow, this is really amazing because – at the time, you think, well, some people are getting the flu or whatever it is. And so you're thinking, well, if they shut it down, maybe it'll be, you know, a month or so. And one of our technical guys was in the booth with me when we did that. We're like just packing up after the game. And I said, well, I said, you know, I really think, you know, in a month we'll be uh, playing again. And he goes, no, this is going to be more that this will be a year or so. I mean, who knew? At least I didn't at that time. But he had one of the, our crew members had an idea that it, it might extend that long. And so here we are. It was interesting when the NBA shut down, uh, it seemed like that was the uh, house of cards that came falling down. Because you're right, in uh, early March, the games were suspended. The big, I think the NCAA, the Big 12 tournament was stopped in a, in, at halftime in one of the games in Kansas City. And, uh, you know, I think we were hopeful that as things went by, that there would be vaccinations and everything would be kind of back to normal by February, March, April of this year. And uh, although I don't think it's going to be back to normal, I'm, I'm waiting for my vaccination number two. You know, for once in my life, old age and obesity was really a benefit to me. So, you know, I, I, my wife, on the other hand, it can't claim that. So uh, hopefully after uh, vaccination number two, I can at least see some some baseball. Yeah, that's we're looking forward to more of that. And you guys have been well. Everybody's been up yeah, we've been we've been well. Uh, we're still married. We bought we sold our house in in Kansas City. Bought a house in Oak Brook, Illinois, and uh, got wow. gutted. And it's in the process of being uh, remodeled from the ground up. And and we still speak to each other most days. So yeah, that's great. It's You're really tempting fate. <laughs> that is a very, that's very true. But uh, now nah, she's a saint. And uh, what can I say? But uh, we were trying to plan a trip to Arizona to see the Cubs Sox, and I figured, you know, a lot of trouble when I can just hopefully go to uh, Wrigley. Although um, I think the Royals will play in front of fans. I don't know about the I don't know about the Cubs because the Chiefs played. You know, they had twenty. They said twenty two percent at the games, mm -hmm. um, plus the suites, one hundred percent capacity at the suites all year long. Didn't really get publicized, wow. but. They had tests, and they sent the suite owner a box of 18 quick sample tests, and you as a suite owner were responsible for every guest. You had to get a test, send it to the lab, and get a uh, negative back, and then those people got in with you to your suite. But mm -hmm. um, uh, that was going on, and I'm sure the Royals will follow suit. 
Uh, Illinois, I don't know. Florida, my God, I can't believe they're not just going to let everybody go in. <laughs> no, by the way, it's vaccination day. Come on yeah. the six and get a free vaccination and see the Rays play. What can see? How much better can that get? Yeah, some people heard that. They, they heard you could get free shots and they thought it was something else. <laughs> You're on a roll today, buddy. You've been cooped up too long. Yeah. Well, last time we talked, we were gonna we were gonna write a book together about guys that had one game in the major leagues, and then, dude, you see, I just I would have sloughed over that and just started up and and gone down the road. But you had to go do some research, find out that well, there's a book, a movie, and a drama <laughs> series all about guys that did one day. I know. So you know, like for 48 hours, we were fired up. We were, yeah. but but. Oh. Building on that, I had a, I had a, a, a another idea that I could come and broadcast a game with you, and then do a, a book on guys that only broadcast one game. How about that? Yeah, I'm available. Think it over. Talk okay. to the talk to the Bailey's the Bally Boys, and uh, let's talk about the Rays. Yeah. Wow, what a year! What a year they had. Yeah, it's really <laughs> amazing. Um, you know, I, you know, I. I think people are still going to be trying to evaluate a 60 season schedule, right? but, um, but you still have to win it, you know, and, and you got to figure out the things to do to win it. And, and they did with their mixing and matching. And uh, you know, that's what they do. Um, I think this year is, is also going to be pretty interesting because, you know, you lose a couple pitchers, who were more than just uh, a couple pitchers, key guys in what would be a rotation. But um, I, I'll tell you, it, there's never a dull moment when you look at at this front office and the way they try to put together uh, a team and a pitching staff. And um, and so I guess I guess we'll find out. But it, it really was an amazing year, and um, that postseason was great. Uh, Randy Rosarena certainly uh, made his presence felt. Uh, he you know, certainly he made that deal with the Cardinals. He's got a uh, uh, a great name. Randy Rosarena is right up there with Andrew Benatendi. And how about the Royals for going out and actually getting somebody that's actually in the prime of their career that is sort of a superstar? And I give their new owner credit for doing that and going out and getting Santana. So the Royals are looking like you know, they could finish a good solid fourth in the division and somehow nose out the Tigers, but you never know. You never know. And so the Rays, how can they give up? Was it Snell that they gave up? Yes. My God. And the Cubs gave up Darvish. And all of a sudden, the San Diego Padres, who are a, quote, small market team, become the king of the throne. They're they're on the edge of the, uh, uh, you know, having to pay a tax for the uh for their revenue but i i don't see how they don't but what i'm saying is they're short of the uh, luxury tax with you know the left side of the infield 600 million bucks isn't that amazing i mean when yeah. you think about i mean think about this you go back to you know i guess it's 69 the expansion and there were the padres down there in san diego and the dodgers have been what the dodgers have been all of those years on the west coast and, and the, you know, the, the Padres were just trying to stay alive and, you know, people thought, my gosh, they were going to 
be moved to Washington. They were going to be moved out of there. And and now to see them go toe-to-toe uh, with, with the Dodgers in terms of payroll is unbelievable. It, it actually, I, you know, people talk about new math, and this is baseball's new math. You know, right. I, I just it, – it really is difficult to figure the financial investment that a market – such as San Diego can make and compete with a team in a market like Los Angeles. It's just amazing to me that that could happen. Well, and I take, I, I look at it the other way. And, and that is that with San Diego doing what they did, and I've got a, uh, an avid listener that I loved to death. He's a great guy. And he, you know, for two years, this is the third year of on the lighter side of it. Hard to believe in it. But anyway, you know, when you don't have a sponsor, nobody can fire you. So, uh, you know, he would say, talk about anything, but the Padres, they're horrible. You know, they just can't ever win. And all, all of a sudden now they got an all-star team, which, to me, eliminates small market talk. It eliminates Antanasio in Milwaukee and the Oakland days and the Rays and everybody else. Forget the small market stuff because if the Padres can do it, um, it seems to me that the new money, the new math, the new whatever you want to call it, uh, you might want to not want might not want to delve into that. But to me, if you can't pay a hundred million in salary sell the team because there's guys like Cohn willing to pay billions of dollars for these ball clubs. It's, it's amazing. The Royals go for a billion, the Mets go for four with the broadcast deal, but man, I mean, you can't hide behind the small market deal anymore. I don't think, I think it's an insult and I'm sure the player association agrees with me. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they do. (laughs) Here's the thing that, that I, I think about that. However, um, and, and I think you can make a cogent argument for a team attempting to spend that certain amount of money, but they, they can, in some markets, you can only spend to a certain level right. and then you're going to be outspent by the other markets. I mean, <laughs> the story I, I heard about the Dodgers is that their marching orders were that you can't spend enough money. Go just keep spending it. I mean, that's how much money they have. Right. Well, okay. I mean, it's amazing to me, <laughs> you know. But it, it, but it really is, in in terms of, and I, I, this is a general impression. I haven't done a whole study on this, but when you go back to the old days, before TV and even radio and and the big markets, you know, you had, you had. Uh, you, you know, you had the New York franchises, you had the Yankees who had all the money and you had all of these small market teams that were trying to stay alive one way or another right. and, and try to compete. So it's, it's the same scenario. The revenue streams are much greater now than they were then. So I, I you know, and, and that's, I, I, you know, this is a whole other topic of revenue sharing and all of that and, People don't want to get into that, but I, you know, I don't, I don't know what else you do unless you find ownership that from somewhere else has pockets deep enough that they don't mind just doubling down and tripling down and quadrupling down uh, on payroll to try to compete with a Los Angeles market. 
No, the uh, evolution of Major League Sports has been phenomenal in terms of analyzing the the dollars and cents. When I was grow, growing up, if uh, if a team drew a million people, that was a miraculous year. And I remember reading books about the the beginning of uh, Sports Service and and the Godfather of Sports, and he would come in and lend money to the Bill Vex of the world in exchange you'd get the exclusive right to sell concessions at the ballpark and they did that in omaha with us we had sports service and it was my uncle's favorite day they'd bring a check at the beginning of the year for the gross sales from the year before including the college world series and he you know that was like heaven for you know we just worked off of that and now you got a guy paying four billion dollars for a team that uh, you know even though it's in new york and i think I guess my point is if you put a, any team out for bid, there's a probably a group of guys that'll get together and, and, and buy the team and not care if they make money or lose money. Um, I don't know how far that goes, but I'm speaking more as a fan, like of the Kansas City Royals as opposed to a fan of the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Dodgers win the World Series and they go, I wonder if we can get Bradley or who can we else can we get to make our team even better? And a team like the Royals or the Brewers or, or whatever, you know, some are fortunate to shuffle the deck like the Rays and come up okay every year. Uh, and, and the Rays are playing in a damn hard division every year. I mean, there's no slouch. Even the Orioles are not slouchy. The Royals central division has been kind of off, but um, it just it's just frustrating as a fan to see what the Royals did after 2014 and 15 when the American League title, they go to the World Series two years in a row, win the World Series, and then all of a sudden it's like, goodbye. We don't, who needs pitching? Yeah. And, the, and the Cubs, to a certain extent, Dwayne did the same thing. I mean, you and I, at least in our prime, could throw faster than three of the Cubs starters. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you. But, uh no 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 tell uh, me about tell me about the new pitchers i mean you're going to the graveyard with hill and with McHugh and with uh albert drake i love it i mean friedman's gone but your guy whoever partnered with friedman and you've talked about him before you guys did it it's a cool job uh, eric meander i think uh is the closest guy to friedman uh that i've seen here and they, you know, they've had some good minds here, really. Um, but I, I think Neander is low key, I, I, and I think some other clubs have expressed interest in him. When you look around baseball, you know, there are a lot of people who came through here now, in one way or another, making big decisions for other franchises, and and I think they're trying to they're trying to figure out how the Rays do it. When you think about this, you know what the Rays have done in terms of uh, wins and 90 win seasons uh, competing in the East and this market. I remember at the beginning of, of expansion, you know, there was talk about, well, why do you want to be in the American league East uh, with all of the behemoth markets and big sure. teams and, um, and Vince Namoli, God rest his soul. Uh, his idea was, he said, well, you know, if, if you're going to win, you, you know, you got to beat the, the big boys anyway, but he was anticipating more of a fan following from those other teams. He was looking at the gate sure. even then, and, you know, and fan interest to be in the American league East instead of say the central, and maybe you wind up playing, you know, more games against markets that are a little bit more your size and, uh, and maybe compete. 
And so the fact that they have been able to compete in the American League East has been amazing to me uh, against, you know, how do you compete against the New York market if you're in Tampa Bay? And they've figured it out. They really have figured it out how to do that. They've been innovative. This whole idea, and, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't begin and end with the front office. I, I think Stu Sternberg and, you know, I don't know, I don't know what his net value is, but, you know, it's probably not what a lot of these other owners are, but from the beginning, he's also part of the thought process that has gone into whether you like the way they construct teams or not. And whether, you know, they've sort of pioneered some of the things that, uh, some traditionalists will be critical of in terms of how it has affected the way the game looks and the way the game is played. But uh, and it really is a collaborative effort, including the owner and, and including the people in the front office. You know, he act when he came here, he actually handpicked. He had he, he had the two guys, Silverman and Friedman, who had worked with him and for him before. So those were the two guys. He sent those guys in before it was even public that they were going to make this deal. They, heck, they may have already made the deal by then, but they were walking around assessing what had gone on with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays at the time, trying to figure out what they, what they may or may not be able to do. And, and I think it was that, that innovative idea, because this whole idea of, uh, of, of openers and then following right. an opener with, uh, you know, a guy who's going to pitch maybe three or four innings. Uh, that was in uh, Stu Sternberg's mind. And I, I, gosh, I'd have to go back and document it. But uh, Brian Anderson and I are on a bus ride with him. I think it was in Boston, I don't know, five, six years ago. And he was he was then talking about that very thing how he thought it could be really innovative to do that. They talked about doing it a little bit, not necessarily wide open, but doing it some in the minor leagues. So there's a lot of thinking and innovative ideas going on as to how they can get an edge. And I, and I think it becomes more and more of a challenge every year for a couple of reasons. Number one, once you trot that out on the field, other people see what you're doing. And the other side of that is when you look around and, you know, you, you look at uh, Rocco Baldelli in uh, Minnesota. Um, you, you look at uh, Boston, you know, who's running the show up there now. I mean, you can go all across baseball and, and you get to six or seven, eight places where they have a, a major Tampa Bay influence in either uh, their field manager or their front office now. And I think it just makes it more challenging for this team to do what they've done. And so it, it just amazes me that they can go out and put together, you know, as many 90 win seasons as they have done since Sternberg took over this team. No, it is amazing that they continue to do that against the, you know, the Blue Jays, the Yankees, the Red Sox, and, um, and, and even in the playoffs, you know, they had a good, they had a good run and came a game away from winning the world series. And, uh, you know, I think they've got a chance 162 games. It's going to be interesting. You keep waiting for this opener concept to, to lay an egg 
you know, you're counting on, and the Brewers kind of do that. They, they, they don't stick with, well, Craig Council doesn't stick with anybody very long, but I mean, his bullpen guys, if they can't throw five out of seven days, you know, then they're just not going to be of value to those guys. And I think the, you know, the Rays with the opener, it's just, you're, you're counting on the guy doing a good job day in and day out, which is not always easy in the major leagues, but I don't know if it equates well to attendance. I mean, clearly the owner at some time needs to put fannies in the, in the seats. And I'm not sure if the Rays consistently uh, attract fans as much as they consistently win baseball games, but you would know better. Well, I think that's a fair argument because it, it has yet to be seen whether the game is more attractive or less attractive. For example, we're starting to get some pushback from players about the shift and what it does. Good. And, and you know, I, I can't disagree with them. I mean, and, and even if they would limit the shift, the Rays would probably figure out a way to, because they're always looking for that edge you know, that little crease in the defense. And sure. that's what they're always looking for. And, and they'll figure something out. But I really believe that that the game, for the sake of the game, and you and I grew up watching this game when it was actually possible for a runner at first base and a hitter maybe to hit the ball into the gap or back into the corner and a runner try to score from first on a double into the alley. Well, that's a pretty exciting play. And maybe they can get a guy because you know it's going to be a close play at the plate. And if the defense executes handling the ball the way it should, they've got a chance to get him. One little foible there, and they don't prevent that run. I think that's an important thing in the game that that is becoming extinct. And we have to do something more than then the outcomes of an at-bat is a home run, a walk, or a strikeout. Or a pop-up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, I, you know, uh, the shift drives me crazy. And, it's, and again, I'm, I just – it all relates to the time it takes to play a baseball game nowadays. But it, it seems easily remedied to make sure that at least 95% of the pitches, your infielders are all on dirt. And that would be an easy way to remedy it. I don't see that happening. I, I thought the other interesting thing was Lindor coming out and saying analytics are killing the game. Here's a, you know, one of the leading shortstops going, it slows the game down. It's not as much fun. There's too much analysis and, and, you know, it just isn't the same way. Um, Let me, let me just, if I, if I may interrupt you, I think the idea you can interrupt me any anytime you want, dude. Keeping infielders. You are the star. You're the cream of the crop. The infielders on the dirt. I think, I think, I, I think they're onto something there. Because here's the deal: you you want to see athleticism in the game, and and so if if it's going to be a game of positioning. Well, you, you can you can take an infielder with limited range and position him in short right field as opposed to somewhere on the dirt at second base. But and, and if if you want to play your second baseman to pull toward the hole, okay, that's fine. Because now he's gonna to have to be quick to react if something hits sharply there. Again, you're talking about physical reaction time, athleticism. 
against a guy who doesn't really have to move. If he can catch a ball, put him in short right field and let a guy hit a ground ball to right and he'll pick it up and throw it to first and the guy's out when he would have got, had a base hit. Right. So I, I just think that at some point, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to emphasize more athleticism again. You know, and that's one thing about, you know, people think about the NBA and the way it's progressed. And some people, you know, used to like the game the way it was, and they don't like the game as much. But here's the thing you have to give the NBA. You see tremendous athleticism. If anything, the court's too small and, you know, and the goal is too low now. Yeah. That might even enhance the game if you made the court bigger and, the, and you know, the rim a little higher. Then it might – but now you're seeing so much athleticism that it dominates the venue. And, and I think what baseball has done, as we're just talking and I'm thinking, they have, they have, they have promoted less athleticism over trying to figure out positioning on the field. And, and so, you, you know, you, you have the NBA that might have too much athleticism and, and baseball that's not showcasing enough athleticism. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think the, you know, and for the fan, the, the end result is the games take too long, whether it's yes. shifts or whatever. I, th I think that the strategy in a lot of cases with the batter being somewhat restricted from getting out of the batter's box, you sit there and, and you see some team's strategy is to just stare at the batter because he knows the guy's, you know, getting fidgety. And it, it seems like if, again, if there was a shot clock concept in baseball and after, you know, without these goofy rules that they have about if you throw to first, it stops the clock from running, whatever. But if you have a definitive clock and a big noise goes off, they're going to be embarrassed and they're not going to, they'll speed up the game just by virtue of this God awful noise happening. But somehow uh, Mr. Manfred hasn't called me to get my take on the game, but I, I'm waiting for that call, man. Yeah, I really I'm am. Silent as well, so. well, and you sit in a booth for four and a half hours on some games and, you know, try to try. I mean, Darvish, man. I mean, literally two minutes in between pitches when he's not getting, you know, his stuff over the plate. And it's like, I saw some stat where there's a ball in play now, excluding walks and strikeouts once every four minutes. Yeah. It's brutal. <laughs> it's and people go, you know, kids go, it's kind of a boring game to watch. I'd rather watch soccer, which to me is the world's most boring game. Yeah. It's difficult for me to watch that as well. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, I, the, that, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. A lot of enemies talking about that, but, uh, I, but you're, I, I think I think they have to do something because you know, and it's you know a couple of guys who've been around for a while think of oh it was so good back then and all that, but but it was it was you know I I want to and and here's the other thing too I, I was doing some prep the other day for the season I ran around you know I, you see things like what Bob Gibson did or. I think it was I think it was the Cincinnati Reds in 1970 used a total of 12 pitchers all year. I mean that's unbelievable. 
Yeah. We could use 12 pitchers in one game now. Right. I mean, it's, it's just nuts. And, and all of those things, you know, as a career, you're not going to see the things that Gibson did, that Carlton did. Yeah. And, and that's too bad. I mean, that is really too bad. Well, and the things that Campanaris did and the things that Lou Brock did and the things that Maury Wills did. Yeah. And, you know, two highlights that, that I'm reminded of watching because of one of the comments you made and, and the other because of who made that comment to wit you. There was that playoff game against, uh, I don't know who, the, the, it was the Mariners 1995 year when they had two, 116 wins or whatever. And they had Griffey on first base and Edgar Martinez at the plate. And Griffey's thinking to himself and articulating afterwards. It was probably the Costas or something in one of these shows. And he's going, if he hits it down the line, I'm going all the way from first. I'm going to try to score. And he did. And, and when you talked about that doesn't happen anymore with analytics, I thought about that play. And even Griffey, uh, with his instinct, speed, and, and ability to run and slide, it still was a close play. And there's nothing, nothing more exciting than a triple or a guy going from first to third like a Willie Wilson way back when who does it in a split second or a no hitter, which brings me to my second highlight that I want to talk about. And that was the uh, no hitter that uh, uh, Jim Abbott pitched and that you called. And, um, you know, I listened to a little bit of that and, and what a great thrill that, and I know you and I have talked about that before, but here's a guy that there's no way he's playing major league baseball and, and, and yet competing at the level he competed at the toughest place in the world to play Yankee stadium. God bless. That was a great broadcast, by the way. Well, thank you. I, you know, I was blessed with one of the greatest partners of all time, Tony Kubek there. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, just for a moment on Kubek, how, how great he was and insightful and, you know, and, and he always had this little, little chuckle that was almost boyish, like you know that I think people people love that about him. He and he's such a genuine article, genuine person, the whole thing. But you know, and he was a great analyst. And for me, as a younger broadcaster, to spend those five years with him there, and to do that before he went home and I moved on, um, was quite an education. And in that. In that uh, telecast, when the ninth inning came and that break before, and we might have mentioned this before, I don't know if we did or not, but we went to break after uh, the eighth inning and Abbott's going out to do the ninth and Kubek turned to me and he says, he says to me, he says, it's all yours. He says, I've said everything I can say about him. Take it home. And I, I mean, what, what a thing to happen. And I, I don't know. I mean, I've had great partners, including the one now. I mean, I enjoy the Brian Anderson and all that. But as a, as a younger broadcaster with Kubek there to have him, uh, you, you talk about uh, two things. Here's some pressure on you, but here's some validation as well. And I've, uh, I've never forgotten that. That's one of, the, one of the highlights of my career. Well, and, and being a, a, a person who just loves the, the voices of the game, the broadcasts, the, 
the Dwayne Stats, the Bob Eukers, the even Bob Elson way back, who was the most boring announcer in the world. But still, you know, he did it. And a lot of guys like Euchre will do most of the game, the innings that he does, he does by himself. But but you've talked about it before and the comfort level you have with your partner. And I'm sure there have been sometimes, of course, not with Dave Nelson, but sometimes when, you know, there's not that immediate uh, obvious chemistry. I'm, I've known you long enough to know that you're going to have chemistry with whoever's in the booth with you and that you're not going to, you're going to do whatever it takes to feature the other guy as much as trying to hog the microphone. That's just not your style. And that's to your credit times a thousand. See, I knew if we went long enough, I'd give you some good props, man. I mean, it's just inevitable. But yeah, I, and I just keep coming. <laughs> <laughs> but you can also see when there's a little friction, you know, in the booth between guys, and guys are trying to say too much. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, the game goes on so long, it's impossible not to say too much because you got time to fill. But uh, there's nothing better than than some of the uh, the the broadcasters and and. Even the guys that aren't great, show me a great baseball highlight and you're going to have a great call. I mean, it may not be the greatest call of all time, but, you know, from Jack Brickhouse to Vince Lloyd to Lloyd Pettit for the Cubs and, and on and on and on, you're just going to have, uh, there's nothing more exciting and unique than a baseball highlight as opposed to, you know, uh, Brady drops back and throws a pass to Gronk and he runs over people and, that happens time and time again. Same with Mahomes to Kelsey. But in baseball, you know, you mentioned Gibson, you mentioned Carlton, you mentioned, you know, some of the legends that have passed away just this year, uh, the Joe Morgans of the world. And we're watching Jackie Robinson flicks. There's nothing better that, that just doesn't get old. I can go, I can go watch the game six of the last year's World Series and be just as excited as I was when it was going on, maybe more so. It's pretty yeah. cool. It's a cool sport. And that's one of the things that I think I, I think this game lends itself to that more than some of the others. And as oh. you put out, you know, there are moments and broadcasts of some of the great baseball games. And there have been some outstanding athletic uh, demonstrations in football, basketball, hockey, the whole thing. But uh, I think the game of baseball lends itself to that. Let's talk in the last few minutes before I let you go and do more productive things. I'm sure the the pitchers on the staff of the Rays. Uh, let's just talk about two of them in your mind. The two biggest losses for the staff from 2020 to 21, and the two best additions to the staff. Well, you know, you lose you lose the guys they've lost. You know, I mean Blake Snell. That's a big loss. Charlie Morton was. Um, any way you look at it, there's no question. A, a lot of innings there. I, I think um, in, in Charlie's situation, you know, they, they, make, they make decisions here, and they love Charlie Morton, but I think they, they looked at the potential downside and what, what it would take to bring him back and at his age and what we saw, you know, how much of that are you going to pay for no production? You know, and I, I, th I think those are the things that goes through their minds and only because of age and physical wear and tear, because you can't question Charlie's mind and heart. I mean, those are right. 
Those are great. But I, I think, so it's a difficult decision. And, and, you know, you and I are analytical, but we're also people people, I think. And that makes it difficult to make, make a call on a Charlie Morton like that, because he meant so much to this team and to the staff. And, and Blake Snell, I think in the same way, but I, I think their feeling has always been never wait to where you have to sell low. You, you know, you sell high and refurbish the, and, and that's, you know, one of the reasons I think what they, they won 90 games in, I don't know, like eight out of the last 13 seasons or something. And, 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 and having seen this team through their first decade when it was tough to win 65 games, you know, you, that's an amazing accomplishment playing most of your games in the American league East. It just cannot be overlooked and making those difficult decisions of, of not re-signing Charlie Morton of trading Blake Snell. Those are very difficult decisions to make. And I have to give these guys credit so now they go back. And, and here's the other thing. You know, you, you, you don't start and finish the season with the four or five guys that you have in what is the semblance of a rotation here. You don't really have the yeah. traditional rotation because they're going to use they're going to use as much depth as they can. And they they try to evaluate each guy they bring in. And that's why I think they can bring in guys who have not necessarily had success somewhere else. But, but they will give them an opportunity here. They add guys who they can send to AAA and back. Those kinds of guys are the ones they look for. They try to identify particular strengths. If, instead of a guy having four pitches, if he has two pitches that are really good, those are the pitches we're going to use, and they're going to match those guys up to the hitter's and the situations and not overexpose them. That's why they're going to pitch an inning and a third, and then they're out of there. And then you're going to, they're going to look for the next time they can match them up. And they do an unbelievable job of matching a strength of a guy whose career may not have been all of that notable somewhere else, but he can come here and experience that success putting together, you know, fractions of innings or an inning and a fraction here and there. They do that very well. And I think that's what they're looking at now. They, they bring Chris Archer back. Yeah. And without his hair, he cut his hair. He did, which is good, but no more neck injuries, he said. Yeah, exactly. So, but here's the thing. Here's a kid with a great arm, essentially maybe had two pitches and, and had some success. There were some frustrations here with him. So he's going to come back and, and he can be a bulk guy. He's willing to accept that now. So you're not going to ask him to pitch five or six or seven innings. You, and, and you're going to try to match him up. So if you get an opener that goes an inning and now here comes a guy like Archer, maybe you match him up and you get three innings. Maybe you Maybe he goes to the rotate the lineup twice. Well, they positioned him. It it's a position to win. 
Yeah. They positioned him for success, and I think they do that as well as any team I've ever seen here. And that's why they get guys whom, you know, other teams overlook or, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Michael Walker. They bring right. him in. Same, same deal. They bring Josh Fleming in, the lefty, through their system from last year, and, and he goes 5-0 and oh and pitches great for them. Yeah, so I, always I, something like that brewing. I think the Mortensen for Archer, Archer for you know Charlie, whatever, however you want to look at, it, is a win for the Rays. It's a, I think, smart move. I, Archer's going to be a star. I don't know when, but by God, I mean he's got the stuff, and I think he's maturing. It's kind of interesting to see him. You you obviously know him. I don't, but from a fan's perspective, that's a good deal. From a fan's perspective, getting rid of Snell because you might get something worse for him down the road as a fan sucks because here's a kid that got, I mean, he's just a, he's a guy that ought to pitch in one organization for his entire career. And uh, as long as he stays healthy and instead we're going to really get a good in, a look into how he per- performs stretching out an inning or, a, or two innings and going from not finishing a little league game of six innings to maybe stretching into the, sixth and seventh inning, which, you know, to the um, Johnny Sane and Warren Spahn's like, what are you talking about? I'm going nine, maybe 10. Uh, you know, you mentioned it. I remember the White Sox, you know, these the rotations were four guys. And instead yeah. of hoping for 200 innings, they were going to go to 300. And the Billy Pierce and the Bob Shaw and all those great, great eras, which were great. But, um, you know, it is what it is. The and I, I love the Waka deal. That's a great, that's a great, uh, that's a great move, I think. And Oliver Drake, you know, he's he's a wild card. And you know, they shuffle the hand. It's like gin rummy. I always talk about gin rummy because if you just take the cards you're dealt and sit there and wait for gin rummy, you ain't ever gonna win. But you move the cards back and forth, and the Rays are the best at that. You know, it's built. It's money ball but with a different analytic instead of on base percentage, it's, you know, let's, let's stretch out our bullpen and our starters and not have a big distinction. I mean, they, what they do is so far, I mean, it makes Moneyball look like, uh, you know, printing on that paper, the pieces of wood floating around. And, you know, when we were trying to learn how to make a capital W or something. Yeah. I mean, but know, Billy Bean's still, he's still doing it. I mean, it's, you know, it really, and it's, it's just amazing how, you know, I always say that if you're in the top 10 payrolls, you've got an 80% chance of getting to the playoffs. And if you're in the bottom 10 payroll, you got about a 20% chance, but the Rays consistently, at least with this regime and the A's God love them. I mean, they do it and, and they, everybody goes, well, you know, you aren't going to go far in the playoffs. Well, the Rays the Rays did, and uh, you should know, you should have been there broadcasting. I just well, want to. I like to beat dead horses. You know, I say that every time. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, you, all of us who, and I'm, you know, I'm not the only guy in that position. We all miss that. There's no question about that. Absolutely, it, it's incomprehensible. We won't dwell on it because there are a lot of things I dwell on, but it just seems from a rating standpoint. Um, and, and I'm not going to say anything negative about the guy from St. Louis, but I think it would supplement and amplify and benefit to have the home team 
guy come in and do half the game with whoever they want to, you know, even I'm not a fan of three guys in the booth, but you know, um, somebody said Len Casper wanted to do a play. It might've been you that Casper moved over to the Cubs or to the White Sox radio so that if he, if they get in the playoffs, he gets, he gets to continue working. And, um, I, I know that you, you've done a lot of radio too. It just makes no sense that the contract's not the same. I mean, I think the ratings suffer and I guess they don't care as long as they get the advertising dollar. (laughs) See, I can say crap like that. All right, man, you're great. What else? uh, I, I, I think we've talked about a lot of, a lot of different stuff. It's always fun. I'll bug you. I know you get busy in the year, but, uh, you know, if we can do a podcast during opening day, that'd be fine. If not, maybe another time. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll keep doing it. All right, buddy. Showing it's up. great. And, uh, hopefully we'll, uh, get to see each other and, uh, and share a meal and, uh, in a day or two, uh, at the beach or something next year. And this, uh, pandemic will be something in the rear view mirror. Well, that would be great. You take care of yourself and, uh, Hey, don't let, uh, putting together a new house and all that, uh, you know, get in the way of domestic tranquility. Like you, I'm, I, I'm, I'm with a saint. So we're, we're lucky. Two lucky guys. Yeah, we are indeed.